You're listening to the Spiro Avenue Show. If you like what you hear, please follow us on Apple Podcasts. You can also watch our full shows and clips and highlights on Facebook and YouTube. Thank you for watching, and I hope you enjoy. Back to Spiro Avenue, a very rare Sunday morning show. Not something we normally do here. We're a bunch of night owls. Ben and I, I don't know if Ben, my producer, has even seen 10 a.m. in like six years. I don't know. He, he may have to weigh in on that. But to be honest, I haven't been up this early since March. And it's, uh, it shows in your voice. You, you look a little lethargic today, well, but you, you are here. You have the graphics ready to go. And this is a good one, Ben. This is a, a kind of a, a different avenue for us, no pun intended. Michigan State University, Brian Masalam is a uh, Michigan State University trustee. Brian Masalam is a legendary figure up there as the trustees are almost mythical. And he is in studio, easily the most accessible member of the BOT up there in East Lansing. So I just want to say welcome to Brian Masalam joining us in studio. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to have you. And you have this reputation of you answer emails. People can get you. You know, the other trustees, I'm not going to ask you to cast any aspersions, but not so accessible. Maybe not going to respond at all, but certainly not soon. You're quick. You're available. So I appreciate you being here. There's a lot that we can cover, but I think my audience, for the most part, is a sports audience. Now, you have a big election coming up. We all know that. For those of you who don't know, now you know. So you're on the cusp of that. You're running for re-election. We'll get to that later. But my audience, I think, is particularly interested in your involvement, to whatever extent it was, in the Michigan State football coaching search that took place back in February I'll take everyone back to February 4th, 2020. It seems like six years ago, but it wasn't. COVID has been crazy, but it wasn't that long ago that Mark D'Antonio was still in name, if not practice, the head football coach for Michigan State University. February 4th, he announces his retirement on Twitter the day before National Signing Day. We were shocked. I was shocked. I thought he might be in his last year, but once we made it to February, I thought, okay, we got him for at least one more year. When did you first hear it? Did you find out when I did on Twitter? Did you know beforehand? Uh, I don't. You know, I, all these timelines run together. Um, I I had heard that there were rumblings, but uh, no, I really didn't. I didn't have any inside information that he was walking out that day. So you found out when the public did, basically. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I heard. You know, you hear from uh, internally, but it wasn't. I mean, when it was official for you, it was official for me. And, and that uh, that's interesting because. Uh, the fact that like the trustee on the board for Michigan State, which is arguably the most involved board of trustees, certainly in this state, I mean, maybe in the entire Midwest, if not the country, that you were blindsided by it, too. I mean, you you didn't see it coming. You were you found out when I did and when everyone else did on Twitter. I mean, when you did find out, were you shocked? What was your reaction when you did find out with everybody else? I mean, you said you had heard rumblings, but were you still caught off guard? Yeah, I was, I was, I was caught off guard. Um, uh, calling me the most involved. I don't know if it's, if it's uh, not you personally. I'm saying the board as a whole. Yeah, you know, um, we'll get into that. But if your your specific question were, I was, I was caught off guard. Yes, yeah, I was caught off guard. And you know, just with how it was handled, there's a lot to unpack there. Obviously, 
Some people said he was just hanging on to get that January bonus, which frankly, I wouldn't even be grudging for. If it were me and I were in that situation, I probably would have negotiated with the university just to help them, you know, time it better and say, hey, you know, I think I think I'm done. You know, can we maybe just get that check and I'll give you guys a month more notice to get a jump on my replacement. But neither here nor there, how it was carried out. Did you have any issues with it, the timing of it, the day before signing day? I'll tell you, so I, I mean, I went to Beekman and said, if, um, you know, if, if coach wants to go, we'll get the board. There's a support to pay him. He's earned that money. He's deserved it. You know, so if they're, you know, let's, let's not look at this January 15 as a deadline. Um, I think the timing obviously was rough for his staff, you know, to find jobs since all those jobs were filled as well. Um, it, it probably wasn't the best way to do things, you know, but I mean, you know, he he wasn't just he couldn't go into schools and and continue to avoid the question, you know, living in the present, living in the present. And and he didn't want a gap year with recruits. And it hit him when he went to recruit because he had every intention of staying. Um, but when he went to recruit, he didn't want to mislead the kids. And he sat there and he didn't he thought he felt that uh, I can't I just can't do this. This is not right. Uh, to sit here and, and you know, he didn't want that gap here. So I, I see his point of view too, you know, where, where, when it finally hit him. I, I, I fully believe that that's, that's the case. So you don't think he was in a room somewhere like twisting his mustache saying, you know, I'm going to get away with that, you know, whatever, or that big bonus. And, you know, he knew all along he was mm -hmm. leaving. You think he really was trying to There's, stay and just didn't have a, it? Absolutely. There's no question about it. Okay. We, we could have got him the bonus and uh, he's, he's, he's earned it. You know, what he's done for the program is remarkable. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, he's a very honest man. I mean, he really, and his staff, I mean, most of his staff was caught, were caught off guard, you know. So um, it, that was a really uh, a moment he had where uh, it was with recruits and he realized, you know, he just, just can't keep saying, you know, I'm living in the present. I'm living in the present. So all that's real, all that's true. What do you Do you think anything changed? Where, you know, he had been saying just a few months prior, he was talking about in front of the media, I want to complete circles. And my father always taught me to complete circles and our work's not done here and I'm not going to leave until this program is back up off the mat. I don't presume that, you know, puttering around at six wins was what he meant by a completion of any circle or getting back off the mat. It was implied, you know, back to competing in Indianapolis. Do you think anything materially changed? Or was it just the span of time it just wore him out and he realized the fire wasn't there? I think I think he I'm I'm you know, I have every intention of coming back. I mean, you don't But what shifted that though? I don't I don't really I think recruiting. I think going in and seeing these recruits and he told me, he said, I just, you know, I didn't want that gap year and I, I was just I couldn't I couldn't lie to these kids. I just couldn't I couldn't keep saying or not lie, lie is the wrong term. I just couldn't keep saying I'm living in the present. I'm living in the present. And yeah. That really bothered him, you know, because if you look at the timing if he was going to leave and if his intentions were to leave, he would have did it so every one of his coaches could have, could have found a job during that cycle when it's open after the season. So that, that was a real-life moment for him where he, he realized, you know, it's, it's time to move on. And it, it, the whole thing was so out of character for him, you know, and you said exactly the reason why, that he really cared about his coaches. Some would argue, and I would be among them, to a fault, to where, you know, the, the program is – flailing and, and just a shell of what he had built and instead of making changes to the coaching staff he would just kind of shuffle the chairs around and you know shake them up and you know okay you're the receivers coach now now you coach the linemen or whatever and so he was loyal many would say to a fault so for him 
to kind of hang his coaches out to dry. I do think that that was not a twisting the mustache. He was plotting to get that bag of money from you guys in January. I think he probably really did say, I'm going to have another go at it. And he just flat out didn't have it. And that's where I would defend him. I will say there's some things that First I... First of all, you don't got a thing. That's the truth. Oh, well, great. Yeah. This is why you're here, because you know a lot more than yeah, I do. trust me. Because I'm just the guy sitting in my basement talking that, about this stuff. Yeah. You're actually in these meetings. You talk to these people. No, that's 100% true. 100% okay. True. So so we can clear the record on that, that it's directly from Brian Masao, Mark D'Antonio. It was the best laid plans, and the guy just, for whatever reason, it wasn't there anymore. And uh, it was not... Because that salacious rumor was kind of out there that he was very upset with certain figures up there and uh, was mad about how the coaching search was being handled for his succession plan ultimately, not in the moment, but ultimately he wanted a say in it. These are rumors. They're not, I'm not reporting that, but that's the kind of stuff that was out there. And, you know, I know uh, Rico Beard, who's, you know, now on 97 won the ticket, had said basically that, D'Antonio was intentionally sticking it to the university because they didn't like how they were treating him with his succession plan. I, you know, obviously you're disputing that, right? I mean, there, you don't think he's he was trying to stick it to Michigan I State. love Rico, but that's not true. Not even close to being true. Okay. Well, that's it's good to clear it up. Now, here's what I... Well, there's a lot of rumors out there, you know, that well, I read and I, you know, but, but that's yeah. what happens when you leave room for conjecture. I mean, when you're not, you know, just transparent or up out of process or you go radio silent for three four days about an issue and you just you know twitter goes to fire and everybody just starts with their the rumor mill i mean yeah and that's that's exactly what happens i mean i don't know if you've seen the movie the american president and you know there's the scene with michael j fox and he's, he's with michael douglas who's the president and he's just saying you know oh no one needs to listen to these rumors you know i'm the president and people will make their own judgments and like bob rumson's a crazy person no one's gonna buy that and michael j fox says look if you don't defend yourself and actually give some clarity a message they're just gonna believe whatever's out there there's no counterpoint i think there was a vacuum up there and i think there's been a vacuum up there for a long time i mean we saw it all the way back with the tom izzo thing when he had the flirtations with the cleveland cavaliers over a decade ago now that was you know yeah after after 09 or 2010 whenever it was 2010 where Lynn Henning from the Detroit News is getting in, into a battle with him in the press conference. You know, he's yelling at Lynn Henning, and Lynn Henning basically said, look, we had radio silence from Michigan State for seven days of this, and it was the biggest story in the state of Michigan, certainly on the sports front at that time. So I do think Michigan State has a little bit of – and I love Michigan State. Spartan Dyard, you're sitting in, in a cave of, of Sparta oh, here. It was so – yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm certainly no anti-Spartan, but I do think they have a reputation for being kind of cagey where – some transparency, some transparency, a message would be helpful. I don't find it cagey. I just, I don't, I don't agree with that approach at all. I don't agree with the Big Ten going radio silent for seventy-two hours, you letting people let rumors fly all over. I don't agree with even. I mean, I think, I think, I thought the coaching search we should have updated people along the way. I don't see, I didn't see anything wrong with that, you know. So we left a lot of room there for uh, rumors and stuff. And so I'm, that's why I don't. I've never dodged the media, even the Nasser matter, right? I mean, you look at the, the board, put their head in the sand, and you know, for the most part, hit behind the lawyers, and I just refuse to do that. So that just, I just think when you can get out and you can control your own narrative and tell, and look, be open and honest. I mean, we answer to the public. I understand there are some issues that are sensitive and you know need to need to stay quiet. But I think if you're open and honest about a process and you update on a regular basis, you eliminate all those rumors, all the rumors, and all the talk. 
And, you know, it's to your benefit to control the message because, again, people will fill in their own blanks. They're not going to stop talking about who's going to be the next head coach at Michigan State University. It's a Big Ten classic program. So those stories are going to be out there, and you can either control what those stories are or you can let the public run wild. And, you know, you mentioned the rumors going around. But there are certain things that I know didn't happen and what D'Antonio has done and hasn't done in those immediate weeks during and following the biggest example was he didn't he didn't show up to Mel Tucker's press conference. So you're on the heels of rumors all around with no counterpoint uh, from Michigan State that D'Antonio has an axe to grind. He doesn't like the way he was treated. He leaves them the day before National Signing Day. A few days later, Mel Tucker's hired. Big press conference. Tom Izzo talks probably too long for like nine and a half minutes up there. It was a hell of a, a hell of an introduction. And D'Antonio's not there and is not even mentioned in the press conference until the very, very end when a reporter asks a question about it. Mel Tucker doesn't say, you know, thank you for uh, to Mark for what he built. I'm looking to expand upon that and build upon it. D'Antonio wasn't there. So you can see you're already going that direction where these rumors are out there that it's contentious. Mark's not there. He's not mentioned until a reporter brings it up at the very end. So I mean, do you have any perspective on on why D'Antonio wasn't there, why he wasn't mentioned? Is there a, a sort of gap there, any resentment at all that you're aware of? Not at all. I just you're, the way you put this whole story together just cracks me up because it's, he wasn't there. There's no so, story. I, mean, the, I, I didn't. It's funny because the seat that I'm sitting and knowing what's going on. Yeah. And this whole story you just conjured up. I, I'm. No, he didn't conjure up. Was he? Was was he there? Was he at the press conference? Yeah, but it leaves room for conjecture. No, no, he was not. I mean, you would know, it not be? Would it not be typical for the uh, predecessor to be there? And I, pass I, the I don't baton? know what's typical. It wasn't because he wasn't happy with the process. I think he was tired. I mean, you saw him at his press conference. He looked tired, and he headed to Florida, and you know, he felt like that's Mel's stage. It's Mel's time. He's not going to come there to overshadow any of that stuff. Then why was Tom Izzo there, though? I mean, Tom uh, Izzo's the Tom bigger. Izzo is the ambassador and face of that university. I mean, if there's Tom Izzo, is, there are so many things that Tom Izzo does for that university that yeah. you don't even know about. I, mean, I believe it. He's the, one of the most amazing human beings you've ever seen in your life. I mean, he's miserable and complains a lot and just maniacal, you know, uh, to a certain extent yeah. for a lot of stuff. and. Um, but in a good way, though, he loves Michigan State. There's, a, yes. there's an inherent difference. Tom Izzo grew up at Michigan State. He was he, he he was born and raised there, you know. So he will be buried under the Breslin one day. I mean, you know, he's been there how many years now? He's given they'll the, name the stadium after him eventually. He, he's I think. given That's, all these yeah. years of his life. So there, there's just a little bit of difference. But I didn't I didn't think anything. There's uh, you know he came to practice. Coach D showed up to I believe to a practice uh, afterwards, right? Uh, he, he, you can tell me I wasn't aware. Well, of that, I, yeah, but, there was yeah. a there was a piece where he showed up. So no, there was no. I mean, Mel was his. Uh, I think maybe he might have missed him, or was a. So he knows uh, Coach Tucker very well. Not at all. Oh, I'm sure he knows him. I just, I again, I'll I'll defer to your knowledge. So you know, you know the players, and I don't. So I I can't sit here and tell your business because you know these guys. I don't. But the perception is it's odd. That Mark D'Antonio is not at that press conference. He's not even mentioned. He's the best coach in Mark the history. Mark D'Antonio is the. I don't know. I, I don't even remember the program, but he's a very you know guarded, private, quiet, unassuming. Um, he you know his personality is where that that he's going to overshadow Mel Tucker by coming there. So and that's I, oh sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. You know, I mean, I'm, that, that's really like the kind of person he is. He doesn't. You know, he doesn't have any interest for the media. 
He doesn't have any interest for the public spotlight, you know, um, which is it's really. But he's loved by his players, loved by his staff, loved by and you. Like you said, loyal and you know, loyalty is a loyalty is a very hard quality to find. And uh, you know, sometimes in, in football that you you are you're loyal to a fault. I mean, you can argue the last year they had seven tackles, you know, get hurt. I mean, there there was a hundred different things that went on. But uh, I mean, uh, if there's one trait that I want from somebody. It is. It's loyalty, you know. So that's why I have a tremendous yeah. amount of respect for Mark. Well, and the fact that his players and everyone that's ever worked for him loves him speaks volumes. I mean, I've had Darian Harris, you know, captain of the team in 2015 in studio a couple of times, actually. You know, Chris Fry's been on my show, you know, was a captain in, in his senior year. Love him. They, they all love him. Yeah, great, great, you know, great guys, and they love him. So that does speak volumes. But, okay, Antonio's private. He's tired. That's why he's not at the press conference. That's that's the first overshadowing. Component. Doesn't want to mean? overshadow. So, but if if I grant you that, okay, he was tired. Didn't want to overshadow. He's understated. Whatever. We'll, we'll grant you all that. How is he not mentioned? You know, the other part over here is why wouldn't Mel Tucker bring him up? Why wouldn't he be mentioned by President Stanley, Tom Izzo? They had a conga line of Michigan State representatives. You know, a member of the board was up there. Nobody mentioned, you know, thank you to Mark D'Antonio for all he did. You know, even just in, in passing, the perception is, okay, D'Antonio's not there. Maybe he is tired. Maybe he's tr- not trying to overshadow people. Okay, that's one component. But the other pillar of that is he's not even mentioned. So the presentation is he uh, retires abruptly on Twitter. The announcement's on Twitter, not at a press conference. He later had one. But the announcement's on Twitter, kind of cold, kind of abrupt. Not at the press conference, not mentioned at the press conference by the other side. So I'm just saying that there's no conjuring. Those are facts. The perception, the, you know, my perception might be conjured, but I think it's based on some factual basis. So you're pretty convinced there's no animosity there whatsoever. D'Antonio has a million dollar, you know, I think probably cushy job there. It's like a lifetime appointment, which I'm okay with that too. But do I, you, I don't know if it's a million dollars though. Well, that, uh, Okay. Fact check on that one, I, I guess. Know, I yeah, mean, let's, let's go do some fact. You're 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 the financial guy up there. You're the one that has to rubber stamp the budget. So I mean, that, uh, that's the report was that it was a million dollars. Maybe that's the, incorrect. Okay, the free press maybe had it wrong. It wouldn't be the first time that they've screwed something up. Let's face it. But he has a cushy job up there. I believe that's incorrect. Okay, go ahead. either way, whether it's a hundred dollars or a hundred yeah. million dollars, the it's really irrelevant to what I'm saying. But what I'm going to ask is basically, I mean, look, you make a good point because I didn't sitting there. I'm so close to it. I'm in that bubble. I didn't realize that he was never mentioned by the AD, the president, and all coaches. I didn't even, I never even thought he was about a ghost. That. He was like an apparition. Yeah, I never even thought about that. But I mean, I don't know if you're going to believe me or not. I can't imagine any of that was intentional. There wasn't any bad blood. I mean, there really wasn't. I mean, he was. He that's how he is. He's just off into the wind and quiet and, you know, history will remember him kindly right now. People might not, um, or, you know, pe- success and is fleeting in sports. You know, I mean, you're as good as your last game and that's how people think. But uh, history will be kind or I'm sorry, the future will be kind to uh, Mark D'Antonio. And I, I think. You know, I, I'm sitting here now being critical, if not simply asking questions about that and the perception of it. I was very upset with him at the time. 
I mean, look, but, I didn't like the timing either. You know, the way that he left, of course, no, nobody liked the timing. His staff didn't like the timing. And it, but it wasn't like you said, it wasn't some sinister plan. It was, you know, like. A but little, it was his timing, though. The timing didn't the fall timing, out of the, the sky. Timing, yeah, mean, absolutely. The yeah, timing was. Yeah, he uh, chose to do it that day. No one was forcing the ti- him to do The that. timing was. Well, yes, nobody was forcing him. So the yeah. timing, timing probably could have been better. Yeah. That, and that's fair. So you're I mean, I was going to ask the impact on his legacy. You seem to think. Not much, really. I mean, just in your own perception. I think short term, you know, there's going to be, um, you know, obviously the last few years were, were, were you know, below par. Um, yeah. But I think the long term legacy is, uh, you know, he's the winningest coach in the history of the school. I mean, he brought he, Mark D'Antonio won at Michigan State uh, the way they uh, they said you couldn't win. Yes. Right. Yes. He won the right way. He won. He won the honest way. He, you know, he re- believed in that, you know, 300 mile radius philosophy of recruiting. And, um, you know, he took the, the, the that staff, the way they developed kids and took the, you know, the whatever you want to call a two or a three star, yep. you know, whoever puts these stars together. But they knew how to evaluate talent. And um, so the, the, the future, the, the future will be kind to, to Coach D'Antonio. And I agree with that. I, I think even now things have sort of calm down it's interesting he was really saved at least in the short term if not long term by the fact that michigan state landed mel tucker you know if if they had just been stuck without a desirable coach i think that sting maybe uh, ripples a little bit more into the future but michigan state got a landing where even if mark d'antonio had told you back in december like hey this is it it's a wrap these are my last two games or whatever and gave you months of a head start if you had landed on Mel Tucker with that situation, most Spartan fans would said, "Okay, like desirable guy. Who knows? I mean, he, he's unproven, but Mel Tucker would have been a good successor anyway." So I think D'Antonio's legacy is sort of not rescued, but whatever taint was, you know, there, whatever tainting of the uh, of that was there, is diminished a little bit by a soft landing in Mel Tucker. So I want to get to that now. But you can't get to Mel Tucker without obviously talking about the process that led him there. So you have the announcement on February 4th that D'Antonio is gone. Between February 4th and February 10th was a crazy time. I'm sure you can't lay out the whole timeline. Not only was it you know six months ago, but uh, it was a crazy time where a lot of things were flying all over the place. But in that six-day period, Luke Fickle emerges as the favorite, the favorite that the fan base wants, the reported favorite of the board of trustees. So take us through the process to the best extent you can remember it. February 4th to February 10th, Mark D'Antonio steps down. When do you first start hearing Luke Fickle's name up there? When is he being discussed? Is it right I away? Only, I mean, I would, right away the candidates were identified and uh, the board had nothing to, very, very little involvement with the board. None of the board members were on the committee. It was up to the board to approve the selection. Um, Again, where I think that's another process, maybe some more transparency along the way instead of leaving all these things open to conjecture as an issue. But uh, the board was not involved in the interviewing of the candidates. The board was not involved of, you know, in any of those type of things. And uh, we got the right guy. I mean, at the end of the day, it's we got the guy. We got the right guy. You know, especially I think it's so powerful having an African-American head coach, um, you know, going into the inner city, going into some of these uh, communities where, where, you know, they're – he, you know, he can go to these coaches and say, I come from your community. I, I understand. I mean, it's a very, very powerful thing. You look at Mel Tucker's resume. I mean, you know, it's unbelievable. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's, um, his resume speaks for itself. So 
I don't think there's any question we got the right guy. You know, that's that's a feather in Beekman's camp, uh, truthfully. I mean, that's, that's yeah. a feather in his cap. And, you know, the only thing that I would say that uh, I felt, you know, was if you update everybody along the way and we don't have Twitter following planes flying to certain places, you know. You, you picked it, up on that. So you yeah, were, I mean, yeah, yeah was, and, you, let, and you just, you just, you just like give people updates. There's no, there's no, um, there's just so no room for conjecture. People are going to always have questions, but I'm just more, I just, I believe more in, and even this, you know, the, the big 10 uh, situation, you know, with uh, football and stuff. And we left those three or four days of radio silence and it became a circus. You said the committee wasn't transparent with the public, which that's, I'd said the committee wasn't transparent. I, I, I said we weren't updating the, 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 yeah. Updating the public. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So what I was going to ask is, were they transparent and updating you guys, or at least you? I mean, well, the you got to understand, I'm a different. I played, I have clients in the NFL, I have coaches, and I have, I know a million people. So board members are hearing one thing, but I'm, I'm hearing from a hundred different people. I'm getting calls from head coaches. So, I, I mean, I'm in a different situation than everybody else. Everybody's assuming that I'm in the know. Everybody's assuming, you know, but I'm hearing things from people all over the country because I have relationships all over the country, you know? So it's, it's, um, my situation is a little bit different because I played there and because of these relationships that I have. So, but different in a good way. I mean, I would think you'd be more, you know, more plugged in just because of the connections I, and I was, have. and I asked for, a, I, 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 w- I knew what was going on. Yeah. So, I mean, I did, but I, never weighed in never got involved i wanted i wanted every i wanted the committee to come back with what they believed was the best recommendation was luke fickle the first pick up there he was perceived as the first choice he was perceived as the first choice i mean that's uh you know that's that's perception but i don't remember i wasn't involved in the committee i don't i don't know nobody ever came to us nobody ever said hey here are our rankings here's what i will say this the committee did tell us but Mel, mel tucker was the best interview he had a plan laid out he knew every player. He knew um, he knew um, their pros and, and their strengths and weaknesses. He knew uh, he had a plan laid out for recruiting that was unparalleled, and uh, he, he you know he killed the interview. And so we got Mel, Tuck, Mel Tucker would have walked here. We got the guy we wanted. I, I agree on the landing. I'm happy with Mel Tucker, and I would take him over Fickle even now, knowing what we know. I don't know about you know we haven't. He's a little light on the coaching experience, but in, in terms of wanting to be here and, and really feeling invested, he did initially, in a very public and famous fashion, turn Michigan State down. You know, and then the the talks moved to Fickle. Fickle was, from what I know, made an offer. It is a fact, and you know that Bill Beekman flew there and had talks with him and his wife and. Uh, you know, uh, theoretically made an offer. That was the report, but it's the fact that he was there. Normally, you don't fly there to talk about the weather. So Fickle turns it down, and then you guys pivot back to Mel Tucker. What's the perception with you guys? You're, you're the money people. The board of trustees has to sign off on the dollars, and this was a dollars issue. Mel Tucker didn't have a change of heart because he realized he liked the color green more than he did three days earlier. Not that color green. The money green he liked more. The the money was what changed. Mel Tucker says no. Luke Fickle turns you down a day or two later. You pivot back to Tucker. What were those discussions like before Tucker accepts? Did you guys feel the pressure like we have to step up here? We have to land Mel Tucker. We have to come up to the plate. What was what were those conversations like? A lot of that stuff you're telling me is hilarious. What not, you keep saying even, that it's just not even close to any of that. What what is not what is not, not true? Let's let's just say that the perception of how all that went down is not true. And uh, let's lay out what I said though. I said that Mel Tucker was interviewed. Mel and, Tucker publicly turned it down. And publicly turned down. Yeah. So that that's a fact. Bill Beekman flew to Ohio. 
to meet with Luke Fickle and his wife. They had discussions. An interview. There wasn't an offer. They had to come back to the board to get authorization no, 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 no. for an offer. To approve the offer. He, but there, there was, you're telling me no dollars were discussed? There, come there, on. I, my audience I is too smart. I Brian. wasn't there. I wasn't there. I no, no but ne- neither was I. Bill but. Beekman never came back to the committee, never came back to the board and asked for authorization to make an offer. That was the deal. I think it's safe to say that Bill Beekman probably didn't fly on the private jet to Ohio to just say, hey, you know, are you interested? You could do that over but the phone. But he flew to interview everybody else, too, so I don't know what... what well, how does that differ? Okay. Well, what, what what did I say that was incorrect? Because you're saying that it's it's just, you know, oh, I can't believe okay. what you're and, saying. And the, the Bill Beekman did not have authorization from the board, the full board, to, okay. make, to make an offer technically. But it, and that's not really the critical point, though. The point is that Mel Tucker publicly turns you down. Luke Fickle publicly turns you down. These two are facts. They're out there. I can play the, the you know, the clips and they pull up the Twitter. They publicly turn you down. And then Mel Tucker was hired literally two days after Luke Fickle turned you down. So I'm interested in that two days where Luke Fickle publicly turns you down. He goes to his Twitter, does a video saying he's here to stay and his wife loves Cincinnati and all that. Those two days, your perception, maybe you can't speak for the whole board or Bill Beatman, but you, was there a sense of we've been publicly turned down by two coaches? We only have two that we viewed as serious candidates, at least again, for the public. But what's the what's that 48 hours like between Fickle turns you down and Mel Tucker's announced two days later? Was there panic? Was there a sense of desperation to get it done? You know, honestly, uh, I'm, I'm not going to get into all the details, but the, the story didn't exactly go like that. So I didn't, there wasn't, there, I didn't sense any panic or any pressure. No uh, pressure. So, no, but you did have a sense zero. of, we. well, you guys offered more money to Mel Tucker than you did five days earlier. So there, you guys had to have. What, maybe it's not. Uh, was there a confirmation that we offered him a specific dollar amount? Did you read anything? Why would he change his mind? Did I? Did I? Did, but I don't. I'm asking you. Was there a confirmation that we offered him a dollar amount? Well, no, I haven't been outside today, but I assume the sun's out there. I mean, there's certain <laughs> things that are so obvious. Like, I'm sorry, but he said no, and then four days later said yes. So nothing was changed on Michigan State side where they stepped up to the plate. I mean, I'm you're sure, the transparent I'm, guy. You're I'm, the, you're I'm not sure. The, I'm sure they went back to him. Of course, he, I'm sure he got more money, and I'm sure he got uh, a bigger recruiting budget, bigger yes. budget for his staff, and stuff like that. And you know, that's uh, which what he is what he needed. I mean, he needed a bigger budget for the staff, and which um, we we agreed to, we approved. We wanted a dollar amount, and this is what this was the range, and here's what we're. Here's what we're agreeing to as a board. So Beekman had leeway to negotiate ranges back and forth with with. with uh, but let me just say this: um, there are some things that I just can't get into. Oh, and um, I respect that. And and I will say that we 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 got the guy we wanted. And I think we agree on that too. I I just think the the process, the, pro- I, the process if if the process if it's not transparent and being updated. This is the problem. It leaves all that open for the conjecture. Well, I did a show that one of the, my highest, I don't know, rated or viewed, most viewed, however you phrase it, shows was I did a show called East Lansing is Burning. And I was sitting right in this chair and it was just 30 minutes on how bad this whole thing was, was botched. You know, Mark D'Antonio set him up to fail. You've been publicly turned on by the two coaches that you wanted most, or at least according to reports. And we didn't know what else was left. I mean, there was a 48-hour period where I can't speak for you. You're saying it was calm and cool and everyone was like, okay, no problem. You guys are sipping Mai Tais or whatever your drink of choice is. The fan base was epiplectic. The fan base was going crazy. I, Mike, I had so many comments on that on that show. It's still available, by the way. I didn't take it down, although in hindsight, it's kind of funny. 
But the perception was East Lansing is burning, that this thing is we're going to just give it to you know Mike Tressel or whatever, and we're out of options. You guys did step up to the plate. I, the Luke Fickle thing, you were rather publicly involved in the search in the Luke Fickle regard. Not really. I I didn't. I wasn't. How did I get public? Well, you, I wasn't you went involved on, in the search. No, but you went on 97.1. It was uh, Jamie and Stoney's show. And, you know, they're asking you about, you know, sir, this is before Mel Tucker was announced. It was like the day before, I think. And, you know, you, you're saying that uh, you, again, I'll paraphrase, but Michigan State does not want a, a waffling flake, presumably in regards to Luke Fickle, who had just publicly turned you down the day before. Yeah, you got some backlash on that. I thought it was, you know, it was fun fodder. I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but a lot of people did. You know, it's – how do I want to take this, Brian? That comment was about Luke Fickle, right? I mean, the waffling flake. Is that safe? No. It's not safe to say. Let me ask you a question. Do you want a waffling flake as a head coach at Michigan State University, yes or no? Definitely not. Neither do I. Definitely not. But Neither, neither do I. But you were being interviewed. But, but neither – hold on. Just so we're yeah. clear. And, and and I stand by every statement that I made. And yeah. to this day, I stand by that. Neither do I. And we and like, and like Mel Tucker would have walked here. So we got the guy we wanted. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, I, again, I didn't think the whole thing was a big deal. I mean, I know like, people were it, going nuts at you. But, and, but, it, but you we know. got a guy that would have walked here. Let me just tell you that. We got the right guy. And yeah, at the no, end of the day, that's, what, no, that's I, all that matters. I, I agree. I agree. I mean, that's fine. That's fine. So, you know, at the end of the day. Now, I agree. When you you, put all those events together and, you know, you got, you know, you leave open for conjecture and there's comments and it looks like trustees are getting involved. And so that really wasn't the case. The board was not involved. The board was not on the search committee. You know, there was um, uh, certain discussions of the process and ranges to discuss salaries and pools for their assistance and, you know, staff and stuff like that. But the board was not involved on that. So the, you know, well, there's just the perception that because I played football there and that, uh, you know, even Robert Sala was in the discussion who's from my hometown. I know, very yeah, you know, you know him, of course. Yeah. Yeah, You know, so there was just this perception that I was involved in all that. And it just, that wasn't, that just wasn't the case. You know, I mean, you had the rubber stamp with the, the rest of the trustees. I mean, that's, you were holding the rubber stamp waiting for the committee to pass you the sheet of paper. I mean, is that. We, we we were we wanted uh, we wanted to see who they brought forward. Yeah. Before we made a decision. And I'm so, glad that you guys approved it. I mean, just, you know, I'll, I'll take off the journalist hat and put on the Michigan State hat. Like, thank you for making the money be there because there was a fear that and, and, it wouldn't And that be. was something that I thought was very important that that yep. besides money, it's, uh you know, the lifelines recruiting and that the pool and the staff and the help that he needed. We needed to expand that pool. So. I made my feelings known on that, you know, but the, the, the actual process and diligence, I mean, you know, Alan Haller did a tremendous job. Um, you know, Beekman, say what you will about him. You know, Beekman, um, Beekman so far in his first big test has passed. I mean, he, he brought us the right coach uh, who wants to be here. And so, uh, you know, I mean, the future will tell, right? I mean, time will tell. Um, but we're happy to have Mel Tucker. We got our guy. Yeah. With what we know now, I mean, great hire, obviously. It could go but to see, pits. But see, everybody <laughs> blew, but see, everybody blew up and went crazy when I said, you know, um, you know, we don't, we want a guy that want, we we don't want a waffling flake, you know, and um, I just asked you the question and you said no, you don't either, and so 
everybody went crazy and for about eight hours that's all they were talking about and then the next day you know we at night we announced mel tucker and i got all these text messages and emails thanking me for defending spartan nation so it's that's just the way it goes, you know. Yeah. In this right. role, you you, know? you were publicly on blast there. I mean, I was, uh, and it, I was just cracking up, just listening and watching some of that stuff, you know. Did you see Valenti's thing uh, when he was calling you out on the? I did, show. I did, I did. I actually enjoyed it. Yeah, you know, I I just, Ben, you, I think Ben pulled. I got the uh, we're clip not, laid up. If you want, we're not going to do. We're not going to do twelve minutes. Yeah, we'll do like the little. Yeah, you know, just. I mean, you know, listen, it is what it is, right? You know, you put yourself out there and you but make comments. You were getting and, crushed for this. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I, I, mean, I said that up top. I, you know, it's, Listen, let me tell you something. This is football. Yeah. Larry Nasser, June, January of 2018, that's crushed. All this other stuff, irrelevant. I agree. We'll get to Larry Nasser. I mean, that, I mean. that's when you, you, you talk about crushed, you talk about the world's eyes descending on Michigan State for the largest sex abuse scandal in the history uh, of this country. What happened that day for 24 hours, it's nothing. I agree. I agree. But for the sake of the, you know, dunderheads that just like football right now that want to watch, I mean, it's we'll get to the Nasser stuff. And I think the Nasser thing is really where you shine. And we'll get to that. I mean, do you have the – I just want to – I know you've seen this, Brian, but I, I for the audience, just, just 30 seconds or whatever to see, like, what the perception was. And I don't care if Brian, who I've met, <laughs> nice guy – wouldn't call him a rocket scientist. Nice guy. Former player. Not a rocket scientist. I don't care if he had the best of intentions. Can't do it. Bad idea. So what happened? Brian goes on with Jamie and Stoney. And Brian now, you could make t-shirts of what he said. Because it's one of the most ridiculous, damaging, nonsense statements you will ever hear. And this is very on-brand Michigan State. So that's what I'm doing, where he says it's so damaging, and I, I didn't really and buy I, it. I just think it's a little dramatic, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's his job. That's he kind of attacked you personally a little bit. I mean, that's that's uh, you know. But when you're in a public position like I am, you don't take it personal. I just got to ask: Do you have any relationship with Mike Villani? Yeah, I met him. Nice guy. Sure, right. he's called me for stuff, and we've talked, and I've helped him with things, and uh, you know. But at the end of the day. I actually give him credit, right? Because uh, I, you know, he was, I mean, he didn't, whatever personal relationship we had or whatever he knew, he didn't allow that to get in the way. But also I get the business and I understand, you know, hot takes are hot nowadays. But from day one, I have been, I have met what I have said from the NASA situation to about John Engler to Joel Ferguson to about the coaching search. You know, that whatever I have said, I have meant. And uh, we're going to hit every point you said. Yeah. I, I think I see I'm kind of old school in the same way that you are, that I think transparency is good. I, I, I think just, you know, from the journalist perspective, like get the message out there, control the messaging. Doesn't mean lie. Doesn't mean even spin necessarily, but just tell the truth. But, you know, I hate the term your truth, but kind of tell your truth from your perspective. I actually appreciated that you were. I don't, I won't listen. Listen, Spartan Nation will appreciate. We want a guy that wants to be here. I mean, we want, we want a guy that would walk here. We want a guy that looks at this job as a destination job. And I'm talking in general that this is a destination job. This is a landing spot. This is not a stepping stone. So, yeah. the, the, you know, this, these are the corner, this is the corner that needs to be the cornerstone of this university. Tom, Tom Izzo made Michigan State basketball a destination job. 
You know, he put us on the national landscape because of the consistency. And so while in the initial surge, people, you know, were upset, um, I turned out to be right that we want a guy that would walk here and that's Mel Tucker. And so, you know, I've everything that I have ever said, I have met, I have meant, and you know, you can argue timing, you can argue what, you know, given the circumstances and, you know, the silence from MSU, you can, you can say all those things, but, uh, you know, I've, I've always felt that, that I, I just need to say what I believe and, and, uh, I mean, everything I've ever said. So, you say, you know, it's a landing spot and you want someone that is looking at the coaching job as a landing spot. My personal fear as a Michigan State guy, someone that's rooting for Mel Tucker's success, is year one, and I don't mean this year, you know, year two technically, but year one full year. He shocks the world, goes nine and three. Year two, or year three, however you phrase it, goes 10 and two, goes to Indy, maybe loses a close one. And Kirby Smart leaves Georgia and now Georgia's calling or Nick Saban retires and now Bama's calling. Why wouldn't Mel Tucker go to the SEC? I mean, it, it, my fear is good problem to have. If he has that level of success where those programs want him, that's great. I mean, that means good things are happening here. But I I do have fear he has been a vagabond. He's never stayed anywhere for more than 10 seconds. You know, do you have any fear that you think it's a landing spot? Do you have any fear they go 10 and 2 in year two and he's just gone? I don't. You think he's here even with success? You guys are going to step up and pay him the raise if he earns it? I mean, that? if I'm still here, if yeah, I'm still well, on the board, you know. I, I mean, you're you're going to win in a few weeks. But. I mean, I hope so. But uh, I, I, you know, I have no doubt in my mind he's here for the long run. And and there are there are there are reasons why that I know that that I, I, I I'm just going to refuse to discuss. But this is he, he loves this place. Like I said, I'm gonna stay consistent in my message. Boulder, Colorado is pretty nice, and the I, I, have you been to Colorado? It's Boulder's I, beautiful. Yeah, Boulder's, Boulder's beautiful. You know, I, I, and he seemed to like Colorado. It's, I hope you're right. I, you know, it's just devil's advocate is like he has. I mean, we can't deal in hypotheticals. You know, there are certain instances. You know, in which Coach D'Antonio is right. You have to live in the moment. I mean, we can't stop. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, if people want our people. That's a good thing. I, I agree with that, but you're talking to the wrong guy to live in the moment. I'm way too angsty for that, Brian. I, I, I'm worried about what's going to happen like six minutes from now. And well, and at 10 least years you know, as a trustee, that's our job to forecast and budget forecast and plan for the future and do those things. And you know, Michigan Michigan State's facing tremendous financial challenges right now. Yes, well, I, the whole country and these institutions are. I mean, I think Michigan State, and I've said this publicly a few times, is as a fan base, as a community. The most unified I have seen them in a long, long time in terms of the football program on Mel Tucker. Everyone likes it. I haven't heard any pushbacks on it. But most importantly, everyone understands that this is a process. That I, This team, what are they playing, eight games? They could go two and six, and I don't think we're going to see but a one pitchfork out there. Maybe one lunatic. You, listen, Twitter is nasty. I but mean, even gonna, Twitter, though, the people seem that there's always a few right now. Right. I mean, he's winning the tweets. I mean, this is but, you know, but if a coach, yeah. if you know, if something, you know, right now, I mean, you are you should see like uh, like when Robert Sala has a great week, you could put his name in Twitter and you just I mean, love and admiration and gives up a late touchdown. They lose. And just I mean, it's it's the Twitter is just up, down, up, down. It's it's, um you know, it's it's. uh. Right now, everything's hunky-dory, so at the end of the day, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I believe me. You don't have to educate me on Twitter being bad. Someone didn't like my opinion on the Detroit Tigers one time and posted a picture of my wife and was <laughs> you know, to 
good stuff like that. I mean, that's so, to me that's unnecessary. Oh, like, you know, of course, the, but, the personal stuff, you know. I mean, no, it's bad. Well, Mike Villani says it. You know, he's that's he's a shock jock. I mean, you know, that's he's a hot take artist. I don't I don't take it personal. But, but that, that's a criticism. Of but him, I'm elected. Too, but. I'm an elected. You're not. So, yeah. You know, there's a lot of things that said about me that were it, it's it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's, I signed up for it. No, and that's fair, and that's a healthy perspective. But what I'm getting to is basically, I think the the fan base knows that he can, you know, fail in quotation marks, you know, have a poor record, let's phrase it that way, in years one and, and probably even year two. I'm saying I'm not even really starting the clock on judging him personally till year three. Now, there's some exceptions. If the team is like laying down and not even, you know, trying in the second half of the games in year two, that's different. I mean, that's like an eyeball test thing. But in terms of wins and losses, yeah, I hope they win every game. Not expecting much, really, in the first two years in terms of the on-field product. Do you think that the board, I, I'm speaking for the fan base who seem to be in agreement with me, do you think the board, the big players up there, are on board with this is a process, it's not going to be Rich Rodriguez in 2008, famously f- featured in John U. Bacon's book where half the board didn't want him, half the athletic department didn't want him, they go 3-9 and nine in year one and everyone just pulled out. If Mel Tucker goes two and six, is there going to be a, oh, we got the wrong guy? Do people feel like they're in it for the long haul up there? Absolutely. The committee came to us and said, this is our guy, and laid out their reasons why. And uh, every every trustee said, we're on board. Yeah, everyone's on board. It's it's, it's it's total harmony. It's everybody, in Lansing, everybody's which you never on see. board. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It was uh, it was unanimous. So I don't, you know, we're in it, we, we're in it for the long haul. And uh, Coach Tucker doesn't expect to go two and six. He's a competitor, and he's he's working these kids really hard. So, uh, you yeah. know, but it's it's uh you know it's gonna be a process. You know, if he goes four and four, I think he should win Coach of the Year. I mean, just he had every disadvantage in the book, and you know the roster was uh, a little bare to begin with, and but just getting the late start and then COVID hitting. But um, it's, it's been a very rough because he doesn't know those kids. He has he didn't have a spring with them, and to, very very difficult for him to evaluate his talent. So he's definitely behind the eight ball in that regard. But I'm. I'm quite confident they'll have those kids ready to play. Those men. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're kids to us. But um, anyway, so I want to talk about we'll get off the Michigan State athletic category. And I want to pivot to where I think you really are probably most famous and where I think, frankly, you shine is the Larry Nasser scenario. Larry Nasser, the whole crisis up there was the low point certainly in my lifetime, arguably in the history of Michigan State University for a number of reasons. There was a perception, and you, you I know you don't like perceptions, that's been clear, but some of it justified based on comments from Joel Ferguson. Joel Ferguson said there's other things going on at the school than this Larry Nasser thing. Lana K. Simon has been doing a great job getting funding for buildings. You're being asked about sexual assault victims, and you're talking about Luana K. Simon's fundraising skills to build a new science center. Not great optics. That happened. I'm not making that up. Luana K. Simon is pressed on why she hasn't attended any of the Larry Nasser hearings. She subsequently did go to one, but why haven't you been there? All these other people have been there. You know, she said her schedule was too busy. She couldn't fit it into her schedule. Just piss poor optics. The university did not handle it well. You were like a flower that grew out of a pot of dirt. You were the one guy or gal up there that was pro-victim from day one before the pressure was there, before people were almost shamed into it. You were out there. You were upfront. You were vocal about it. It's been a, a big 
campaign calling for you in November as it should be. I think it's, you know, you're running on your record and that's the best thing on your record. And I, I applaud you for that. Did you have challenges up there? Like what did MSU get wrong? What did you see them getting wrong? And what did you want to do differently up there? I mean, where do I start? You know, I mean, I think it's, two year it, fiasco. it's a two and a half year. I can write a book about what tra- what's transpired, really. And nobody's lived it. Nobody. I saw everybody, for lack of a better term, everybody got naked at that university in front of me. I saw the way everybody behaved when, when the bullets were flying. I saw everybody duck for cover, uh, hide behind the lawyers, uh, crawl into their partisan hole. And I just refused to do, to, to I, w- I was going to be outward facing I thought we were we were we lacked empathy. I thought we didn't show compassion. The board was tone deaf. Joel made us sound more tone deaf. And I didn't I said, you know, screw this. I'm no longer listening to the lawyers and we need to get out here. It's okay to apologize. It's, I really thought my reaction was common sense. I mean, hey, we're sorry. We're sorry girls got hurt here. And um, you know, we need to fix this and we have a problem. And we want your advice and help along the way. Because if you look at the survivors, uh you know, they were they were looking for an apology. They were looking for accountability. They were looking for transparency. Never once did they talk about money. And so it really was um, the real turning point to me is, um, you know, I held my town hall and uh, no other trustee came. I mean, 5,000 people came yelling at me and a moderator lost control. And I felt the, I, I, I saw the rage. I finally felt the rage because we're volunteers. We're part time. I mean, I'm living in, you know, I'm in Dearborn and I'm, I'm sitting at first thinking to myself, well, how, how is this my fault? You know, I'm watching, you know, Rachel Den Hollander talk about 1996. And I was like, I was in school then, you know, and and so I, I quickly realized that this is, you know, as Michigan's board's going to realize and they're realizing is that where the fate this will come to our doorstep and that. I just thought my reaction was just basic common sense, really. And so I became a fierce advocate and it became very personal um, meeting. Uh, first of all, then I met for then I issued a plan of reform, you know, May of 18. I said, you know what? Here's what we need to do to fix it. I mean, I went and found the right people to help me. And and, and many of those initiatives we've adopted. We got a, a creation of the audit and risk committee. We got a we centralized compliance with the chief compliance officer. Now all board of trustees have to read all sexual assault reports. Uh, and, uh, you know, then MSU enters into a joint resolution agreement with the Office of Civil Rights two years later. OK, and uh, both ESPN and the free press uh, acknowledge that many of these things they agreed on were stuff that I recommended two years earlier. So it was, a, uh, you know, then I drove out in May of 18 to meet Rachel Den Hollander and meet some of the survivors. And then it became very personal because you humanize them at that point. Right. They're not. And it just it's just something that I just never wavered in that. Making comments and blasting Engler and doing the things that I needed to do publicly is one thing. But sitting in a room with seven trustees and law firms and PR firms all alone on an island, telling them you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Our response to this is wrong. That that was the more that was the more difficult part. But I just never wavered in what I believed in. And since then, everybody's come around and said, you're right. Everybody's apologized, um, held people accountable. Um We've done a lot of those things, you know, that I've talked about. And uh, I don't care about re-election. Like, I never thought, of, you know, I, I, I didn't work 100 hours a month at a volunteer position thinking about re-election. It doesn't matter. I'm a Spartan. I'll always be a Spartan. That's the main thing to me. Um, I never even, never even, I never even thought I'd even be here right now. I, was, I really wasn't even going to run again. I wasn't going to run again because I wasn't running with Joel Ferguson. And um, I, um, you know, like Kaylee Lorenz convinced me to run and, um, uh, 
you know, we're, Joel was blocked from getting nominated, renominated. So, uh, you know, it, it changed my person. I'm like, I do, I have unfinished business. There are things that I need to see through. Um, and so it's, but it was a, I hate the whole story. I hate even talking about it. So, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was, but it's something that, you know, you're tested. You're, you're really actually like literally like one day there's a thousand cameras in your face and you're getting asked questions about incidents that happened 20 years earlier. And, and how do you react as a person? I mean, what do, what do you do? So it was, a it's a very interesting time. A lot of people disappointed me. A lot of people ran and hid, um, Basically, and, everybody but you. I mean, Mark Hollis, the athletic director. I, I mean, I mean, I just, I don't, for the life of me, can't even, to this to this day, some of them that are still there have refused to talk and meet with survivors. I mean, we're, we've settled. We've settled lawsuits. Uh, yeah, there's there's no exposure there's there. No, I mean, point. like, well, what, do we, what, do we, what do we, I mean, it's just, it's some of the stuff, the, the, the lack of empathy, the lack of compassion, and uh, President Stanley's brought some of that, you know, which is great, and you know, we're moving the university forward. There's been a lot of great changes. There's a lot of Spartans really hurt across the country because of this. You know, we lost a lot of donors, lost a lot of contacts. Um, and so I think we as a university, we still, on that regard, we have to, um, we have to regain the public's trust. We have to regain, you know, and we have to be more transparent. And that's, like, that's been my theme all along. Like, why not update people and tell them about everything that's going on? There's, that's why if you look at my plan of reform, you know, I said all of the FOIAs we get should be put on our website. We should we, we should uh, we should actually reduce. Uh, we should tell our administration to not be as stringent as the actual FOIA laws. And we're a public institution. People should know things that that they need to know. And like uh, you know, burying your head in the sand is not the answer. So I don't you know I take it as you will. Like I said earlier, and I will stay consistent. Everything I have ever said, I have meant it. Everything. I'm a Democrat. Dan Kelly's a Republican. I praised him and his leadership publicly because when it came to survivors, it wasn't partisanship. When it comes to Michigan State, it's not partisanship. You know, we're, uh, we got an R and a D by our name, but we're all Spartans. And so, you know, I blasted Joel as a Democrat who protected Ingler. Um, you know, Dan wanted, Dan Kelly wanted Ingler fired. So there, there were people that, you know, did the right thing. And when you do the right thing, you know, I don't, I didn't believe in that partisanship uh, and, and I didn't run um, I ran for it because it was about as least partisan as there was partisanship. And really for the first five years, we never had a partisan vote. We didn't have a partisan vote until Engler came. And when Engler came, Engler started counting to five instead of eight. And I told him, John, we, we like to be unanimous on things. And But part of that is, uh, you know, um, he would count to five, right? He thinks he's dealing with the legislature and as long as he's got the majority. And he did it on purpose to divide people. Um, very, very manipulative in that regard. But Anyway, I mean, I did what I did. I thought it was common sense. And, you know, whatever happens in November, win or lose, it is what it is. It doesn't matter. I can sleep at night. I have the support of certain, like, survivors supporting me and my dad being proud of me. And me, me like Coach D'Antonio has always said to me, uh, stay true to yourself. You know, that's always been his line. And uh, I have, you know, like, I've stayed true to myself. I've said um, everything, like, like, let me give you an example. Outside the lines called me to do an interview. And um, I declined it. I declined it. They wanted, I didn't need my 15 minutes of fame. And I still have the text messages to prove it. But I turned them down because I did not like the fact, I thought it was disgusting for them to put Tom Izzo and Mark D'Antonio, that picture, 
say what you will about Michigan State and what they've handled and write your story and do your do your things. But to put their that graphic on there, I declined. I because me it was a I had to stay true to myself. I didn't need my fifteen minutes of fame. You know, those are two great men. And not only are they great men, there are there are people within the university that survivors trust that went to them and said, these two want to do the right thing. They're good people. So it's, you know, I was disgusted by ESPN, which is why I won't watch ESPN unless we're playing, of course. But that's about it. I had a, an article that I wrote a couple years ago. I had a cartoonist contact me because I was just railing on Michigan State publicly on Twitter, and he wanted to contribute for free a cartoon. The only thing I disagree, and I'll pull it up for you. You know, I don't know how well you can see it from this far. The audience will be able to see it. You know, the only issue I really had was I didn't like that the cartoonist had D'Antonio and Izzo in there. And, you know, I almost didn't run it, but the cartoonist explained that he wasn't implicating them in the Nasser situation. It was more just that they were freaking out and concerned about, you know, yeah, what's that, going on. That, he's, he's, he's full of shit. Yeah. Because he's implicating them. And that's, yeah. I have a problem with that. So, and, and that's fair. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it was my website. I ran it. So you, you can have an issue with me too. I, but I did even before I take issue with their inclusion in the, in the graphic. But, you know, that graphic had the board of trustees on the top left. Um, you know, I don't know if Ben's able to pull it back up at this point, but on the top left, like X's through their eyes, just kind of blindfold and just like that, that was the perception of the board of trustees. And that was based primarily on Joel Ferguson's commentary that it was just, Ah, uh, we got other stuff going on. I don't want to look at these victims over here. Who cares about them? You said that you were not even going to run for re-election here in a few weeks on a ticket shared with Joel Ferguson. You've been pretty public about it. Like, what is the issue with Joel Ferguson in general um, with this Nasser thing? Do you have issues with him personally? I mean, well, I mean, I just think he's, um, you know, first of all, he's getting older, and and I, you know, you know, I don't want anybody to have failing health, and uh, and I'm not saying he has failing health, but I thought. Um, I thought his comments were very destructive, um, and um, I thought his lack of empathy and compassion for the survivors um, was an issue I had. Um, he was uh, involved in obstructing an independent investigation uh, of the Nasser matter that we wanted to release publicly, and uh, you know he's uh, he's an impediment to progress. He's yet to meet with a survivor, talk to a survivor, and I wasn't. I just wasn't. I just was not interested in eight more years sitting next to Joe Ferguson. Do you ever and, message him like during this process? Do you ever send him a text or call him or email and say, you know, what the hell are you doing? Uh, you don't even, you have no idea. So it's, yes. It's, it's, it's <laughs> a, a lot, lot worse than that. Yeah. Well, because well, that's why I went, I mean, that, that's why. What, I, what's worse than that? I mean, because you, we, you we would agree, him. because there's things I can't say on the show. I mean, but we would agree nobody's going to, you know, going to talk and he'd go out and say something stupid and oh, I just, okay. I'd lose my, I would yeah. lose my lid. And, um, you know, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, in January of 2018, and then he supported Engler. Um, he voted to keep Engler. He voted to uh, hire Bob Young, right? Engler wants us to hire a general counsel for, for, for three years while he's got six months left. You know, what kind of fiscal responsibility is that? And then they have, after we fired Bob Young, they, they, Channel 7 has an expose of Joe Ferguson toasting Bob Young, going to dinner with him that night, spending Michigan State's tax money people's money and celebrating with a guy that we just fired so i think you know optically uh you know that that's that doesn't look good so there was you know i mean we you know nancy schlichting resigned you know she was on the board she saw the inner workings of the board she has endorsed me nancy's endorsed me because uh she sees not only what i've done out but behind the scenes when the cameras are not on 
you know, so I'm very honored to have her endorsement. Joel was one, I mean, she was actually like, I'm not dealing with this, you know, so, you know, he, he's been, in, uh, let's just say, uh, you know, it's um, just time to move on, you know. Time to move on. So, I mean, let's just say, uh, Anna K. Simon, for whatever you want to say about her, she sure did build a lot of nice buildings. That's that's what Joe Ferguson told us uh, <laughs> in the wake of the Larry Nasser scandal is don't ask her about this silly Nasser thing. She was a great fundraiser. It's just... The optics. I mean, I mean you are, can't. You just. I mean, you know, you talk that way, and you, you know, you look like you don't. You're just so insensitive and so cold. I mean, so just, cold. Even so. if it were a one-off victim, but this was like a definition of you know systemic, uh, just a total clusterfuck. And then he started and, defending Engler after Engler said Rachel Den Hollander was taking kickbacks. He starts defending Engler, and you just, you know, you're. You, you can't coach that. You can't, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I, I mean, that's fair. The article that I wrote about it, you know, I, and I know you you hated the the cartoon that was submitted to us, but um, the article I wrote didn't talk about Izzo or D'Antonio at all. I don't think they were involved. My, uh, and there's no evidence for that, despite what ESPN has said and other people have, you know, suggested. But my takeaway from that was a lot of what you're talking about, that there was no unity of message. Michigan State, and I talked about it in the article, has a class that they teach at the university right now and did then on crisis management on a corporate and, and large level where they, they're teaching at this school how to handle this. And it's like, I feel like not you, you were the, you were the outlier, but I feel like the board, uh, university interim president, everyone up there probably should have taken their own class. The, the, what that class teaches, if you even look up the um, curriculum and the outline of it, is how to deal with a crisis on a national level, how to communicate and control the messaging and how to it's a lot about damage control. I mean, you can still pull up the course description at Michigan State right now. All that Michigan State got wrong, the biggest being just unity of message, how we're handling this and accountability, where here's Brian Masalam saying we should be apologizing. This is terrible meeting with victims. Here's the trustee next to him saying, oh, this is this Nasser thing. And it's, it's like a total polar opposite approach. Even if you guys disagree and he's flippant privately and you're passionate privately, there has to be, I don't know how much you could have gone to the side of not caring. I don't know what, <laughs> you know, we're not, again, not talking about uh, you, politics, but. Look, you, look, part of the reason, God, I got so many opinions on that because, you know, coming out with a canned statement isn't exactly sensitive either. No. We are all independently elected. So it's okay to have differences of, of opinions and say, make individual statements. It took me years to figure out like what's wrong with Michigan State. And there's this, and I'll tell you exactly what's wrong. There's this insular culture. There's this, and I'm talking at the board level, that you you can't govern and you can't hold the provost responsible for her actions if you're at Lansing Country Club with her or socially. It's and the so good, good old boys and girls club and so kind of thing. There's this Lansing establishment that circled the wagons around the university and wanted the lawyers to lead the messaging of no comment, no comment, no comment. And then, I, you know, as the story unfolded, I realized the more we said the things that I wanted to say, the, the more Luana would have had to resign and go sooner. And as you, you know, you, you kind of go back and you play back. And, and it's, it's as time has even gone on, you're still seeing this institutional protectionist mentality, you know, that, uh, you know, you, you, you have, uh, you have uh, certain trustees that want to govern that don't have these personal relationships. And you have others that are, you know, that's their community. 
they run across these people daily and uh it's hard for them when they develop these personal relationships. So I think like th that's one of the biggest lessons that I learned. You, you know? broke rank. So you you were a maverick. I was the first to I did break rank, yes. Did I, did you get shit for that? Were oh, they giving you I mean were they You don't even I mean it was yelling yelling at you. Yeah, I was oh, I didn't I didn't What's the conversation? You back. better you better not protect that you know, goddamn about, you know, sex you're assault. Showboating, <laughs> you're showboating and you're you're, showboating. you're uh you know, you're um uh, you know, you're out there, you're uh putting yourself on an island and you're trying to show up your fellow trustees and I mean Engler and I went at it, he's like, You're making the university look stupid. I said, No. You were on an island, said, but they were off the island I said, drowning. You're, I said, You're making any university look stupid. I'm reacting to you. Yes. I said, You're making them look stupid because they got their heads in the sand. But you're making me look good. So you want to keep going. You can't shut up. I said, you see all these changes that we made? We made a lot of great changes. But do you think anybody, anybody can hear any of these changes? No, because you can't shut up. And and so until you do, you're going to make them look bad because I'm not going to shut up. And you did, you did the right thing on a human level. But even if you were a cold-hearted bastard up there as a trustee and you were just the, the most but evil... You, but you're, you're, being, you're being told by the lawyers, don't you dare talk, don't you dare talk, don't you dare meet with them because you're going to ruin the litigation. You're going to ruin, you know, we're in negotiation, we're in mediation. And and I said to myself, we're going to pay anyway. We're, what's wrong with saying we're sorry? Sometimes you just have to run into the buzzsaw. And I, I get the, the bean counter's perspective. But my point is, even if you are an evil person, and your only goal is to protect the institution of Michigan State, no matter, come hell or high water, you'll cross any moral line. I don't care about victims or whatever. Even if that's your perception, it was still handled wrong because Michigan State is far worse off for having handled it like they did in those moments than they would have been had they faked what was genuine for you. Even if I were just a cold-hearted bastard advising them, I would be like, okay, look, this Brian guy, he's a sap. He actually cares about women getting digitally penetrated by their doctor. You know, what a silly goofball he is. But for Katie caring. said in my video, she emailed me and I was the only trustee to respond. That was, that was long before the camera. You were the only one out. that reacted. She, she wrote the entire board and she went one for eight. You were the one. I mean, and that, but that was before the cameras went on. Now, the cameras didn't go on until January of 18. So yeah. I, I, because I genuinely felt in my, and that's the difference, I think. I think is that when you fundamentally believe something, Nobody's getting you off of what you believe. It right. doesn't matter if seven, you know, trustees and two PR firms and nine law firms, and it just doesn't matter. Nobody's getting you off of what you believe. And if you stay true to yourself, and you, I'm a volunteer. I have my own business. That's not my job. And then you, you have a, I have a daughter, and and so there are things that I took into consideration that I felt, you know, this is how I really feel. I'm not going to sit and listen to the lawyers, and so. For what it's worth, it caused me a ton of backlash internally, ton. Um, and it is what it is. I mean, I'm I'm very proud of the position that I took. I'm very proud to have their support. And uh, you know, I get like I said, I win, I win, I lose, I lose. It doesn't matter. I'll always be a Spartan. I made my dad proud, and I can sleep at night. I have a clear conscience because there are people that were in that room. And they knew what the right thing to do was. They knew it, and they didn't. They hid, and that I'll never forget. That I, you know, say what you will about Joel. He he's just in another world sometimes, you know. Uh, but there are people that I knew privately would say the things to me how they really felt that wouldn't say it publicly, and that really bothered me. Oh, the principled stand was the right way to go. I mean, at the end of the day, it was botched. Even if you didn't care about these victims, it's self-evident why you should, if you're a human being. But 
they botched it even if they were cold-hearted because they could have protected the institution a lot better even if it was a dog and pony show and they didn't do that so they did the wrong thing uh, whether you were the the evil henchman in the movie or, or the good guy I but mean, you but you protect the institution by acknowledging your failures and acknowledging that we have a culture problem as it relates to accountability yes. as it relates to transparency that when I saw when I say that that's what I mean that's what I meant by it and acknowledging these things, you know, America is very forgiving and working with survivors and coming up with solutions on how to fix things and humanizing. Like, like that's how you protect the institution. You don't look at a dollar value and say, if we say this, it's going to cost us this, you know, because there's a reputational damage, you know, like, like, like this, like this in the independent investigation that we were doing. Like I developed the rapport with Rachel and, and, and Sterling and Sarah Klein, who are two of my lawyers to, come and do this investigation with us for us to hire a firm together and issue this report. We were going to, we were going to issue this report of a firm that they agreed to and they were going to stand by us and they were going to say, you know, that this was a legitimate process and that would have gave Michigan state billions of dollars of PR that nothing else could have bought. Them. And you can't quantify that. And we had four trustees block it. And so and that's when I began to think about, you know, what are they? What is going on here? What am I missing? Why would anybody? And it's that Lansing establishment culture. Is it still there? That culture. Yeah, part of the whole. So the issue still. has not been fixed. Could Larry Nasser happen get, get again? It, move it, we're moving in the right direction with a new nominee that's standing next to me running for office. Do you think it could happen again? Not the same. You know, I, I, apples I, to apples, I, you know, I, I don't because we've. I, I mean, anything can happen, right? Right. Um, um, but we've. You think the controls are in place that that yes. would not be allowed to yes. continue? Yes. So you know, a lot of people would regard you know the, my suggestions as kind of the framework of what, but but we have we have people there much smarter than I am, and so the controls have been put in place. Compliance has been centralized. Um, people can now bypass the president to come to the board directly. They have that authority, you know, to put these controls. We'll get a third outside monitor. Hired an outside independent monitor. More to, checks and balances. More here. checks and balances yeah. there. So you, you know? can't run into that brick wall. It's like I if mean, this so one person says no. That's what we so like. That's what we learned as a board, right? Is that uh, before these were very ceremonial roles in nature and ribbon cutting and you know take pictures and these are very serious roles. These roles require tremendous fiduciary oversight of the university. You have to be engaged. It's your job to hold the administration responsible. Now we have to read all those sexual assault reports. Now we have to look at all the audit functions and see. Now we have to make sure, you know, so these roles have changed dramatically. They're not what it's not when I first started. It was it was let's feed them and keep them quiet and keep everybody happy and get the trustees out of the way. But uh, we have a much more engaged board, much more active board. And uh, I, I, you know, the, the controls are in place. Um, we're working on getting better. You know, every day we're getting better. I mean, nothing's perfect, but my goal, that's why I say I have unfinished business. You know, like I would love to see Michigan State become the national model for health and wellness. Michigan in health and wellness. I mean, Michigan State's near and dear to me, obviously, uh, die hard and, and deeply care about the university. When I first got there, I used to just walk the campus at night alone, like in the middle of the night, just walk around. I just love the campus. No one loves Michigan State more than I do. There was a period where I was embarrassed by the university. And it was a repeated embarrassment that just it kept renewing like every other day mm -hmm. in the news cycle. So, you know, maybe out of the bounds of an interview, but I don't care. It is a human issue. Just thank you for what you did up there in protecting the institution and doing the right thing. You had the approach that I wish they all had, that people were so frustrated that no one else did. And I thought that took a lot of courage. It may be self-evident to you. 
But when you're in the firestorm, you're in the old boys and girls club and you're the outlier, it's, it couldn't have been comfortable. So just, you know, as a Spartan, thank you for protecting that institution that I, I care don't, about. You don't need to thank me. That's my job. I mean, that's what I was elected to do. I work for you. Seven I mean, people were too and didn't do it. So, you know, on that board. So well, we learned, listen, we learned a lot about a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, that's why, uh, that's why we're on our fifth president, fourth general counsel, third, third, uh, AD, third provost. And, uh, you know, if you think about my eight years there, right? I mean, two Rose Bowl, a uh, Rose Bowl, a Cotton Bowl, playoffs, two Big Ten championships. Uh, I don't know, four basketball, Big Ten, three basketball, Big Ten championships, two Final Fours, uh, Larry Nasser scandal, five presidents, four. I mean, it's nuts. Four general councils, three ADs, a global pandemic. I mean, you name it. For a volunteer, I've done it all. You know, and hell so, of a volunteer. I mean, it's a You've lot. You've seen of work. a lot. It's a lot of work. So we'll, we'll lighten it up a little bit. So we do this fun thing at the end. We always wrap. It's called speed round, kind of like word association, but you can go more than one word. I mean, you can give me a couple sentences, but, you know, short and sweet. We just kind of rip through them. So we'll start. I'm going to give you a name or ask you a quick question. You just, you know, say a couple sentences on it or whatever, whatever comes to mind. So are we ready, Ben? We're ready. Let's start. We talked about him a little bit earlier. Michigan State head basketball coach Tom Izzo. What do you think of Tom Izzo? Oh, where's his heart on his sleeve? Maniacally brilliant. Maniacally brilliant. That's good. I like that. The most passionate guy I've ever met. Great guy. Great guy. Love love Izzo. I love him. He cares so much about the university. You have no idea. Yeah. Lives lives and, and dies with it for sure. We talked about him very briefly. Departed former Michigan State Athletic Director, the most successful in my lifetime, Mark Hollis. What do you think of Mark Hollis? I think Mark Hollis was a marketing genius. Uh, I think there were we've had great leadership under his success. You know, I mean, I'm a fighter. I, I don't, you know, he retired. And um, one thing that we learned about, and I'll say this, is that these are not thrones. Like uh, these are, we are all temporary placeholders of an institution that lives in perpetuity. And as powerful as Luana was, as powerful as Mark Hollis was, as when you're not number one, you know, you're not in charge at the end of the day. And, uh, and trustees have to realize that we're, we're temporary placeholders. These titles are fake. They're not real. You're not important, but your title is. And so when you're there, you must act in that capacity. And uh, I know you said one sentence, but. No, you can go on. There's no, I'm not going to buzz you. But how is, are you saying that he, he failed to meet those uh, standards and expectations? I, I just think, uh, you know, I, I, he retired abruptly and left and it, it did not leave a good look. It did not leave a good look for his legacy. And I asked him why. And he said he couldn't control the message because the lawyers wouldn't let him. I mean, but there's a lot of things, you know, so I thought he did some great things. I thought, um, but he did some great things. I thought, um, you know, he should have had a number two ready to go and develop some of the people underneath him. Um, but uh, Mark Hollis did some great things. But ultimately, you know, you become a casualty in a war sometimes. You know? Another, I mean, it's not one of the top 25 reasons to hate Larry Nasser, but it's somewhere way down the list for me. Like just that I think Mark Hollis, I don't know if he'd still be there, would have been there a little bit longer. Just great with the the Nike stuff, forming that relationship. And, you know, it was already in place, but building that, becoming one of the flagship schools for Nike and Michigan State's playing on aircraft carriers and military bases. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just, and from my understanding, maybe you can correct me, but that was mostly a Mark Hollis operation. It is, but Tom <laughs> Izzo has to agree. And so, oh, yeah. You know, Izzo gets credit too, but Mark Hollis was I, a listen, brilliant. He's done, 
brilliant ideas, marketing yep. ideas, and we got to give him credit for a lot of things. Did a great job. There was a lot of success in uh, under his uh, his tenure, you know. Um, but you know, you look at Kathy Clages was also in the athletic department. So at the end of the day, the buck stops somewhere, that's right? That's true. And 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 that's and that's true. the problem I had as a trustee. Everybody kept passing the buck. Nobody would answer a question. And and finally, that's when I finally called for the general counsel's resignation. Uh, that first January and demanded an independent investigation because I, I couldn't get my you know hands on nobody could nobody wanted to take responsibility for anything and yeah. I'm not saying anybody covered anything up it's at the end of the day you know there is accountability that you have to take and that's our job to hold people accountable and clearly we weren't and uh, we learned we learned a valuable lesson and Hollis was we, I guess part of that but you know that's you know and he, and he really I mean he didn't you know like we didn't even know who Larry Nasser was I mean it wasn't like he you know he, he he really didn't I mean if you read his interview I mean he had very little interaction I mean but uh, his perception that he was like having lunch with D'Antonio in the cafeteria you know it's, it's just, you know well he, you know he's very close to Mark and, and Tom and yeah. and uh, they made a great trio and I mean I know they met with Luana every quarter I was talking about Nasser I'm saying there was a perception no. that, that it, well, it was just no. ridiculous but that was out there it's well, like, that's you know, what like, ESPN that's why yeah. I had an issue with ESPN outside the lines because they tried to tie all these things together and make this an overall Institute, look look there, like the I met institution. I met with our top sexual assault leaders on campus and uh, I point blank asked them you know a lot of them you know I said you know, are Mark and Tom, are they? Tell me about them. Because I want to, I know how they are. I know the type of people they are. And every one of them said they are good people generally and they want to do the right thing that, you know, um, it's a systemic problem across the nation and that it's in, athletes are entitled. And, uh, uh, you know, Larry Nasser heightened everything that's happened in East Lansing. So it was such a bad job by Michigan State to have that year. Was it twenty eighteen where Izzo is getting asked about this stuff at every press conference and they're just badgering him and abusing him. And it's because no one else would fill in these blanks. I mean Tom Izzo was the, he the was spokesman the face, for the whole you know, I mean Coach D got to come out and say what he had to say, but he wasn't in season. Yeah. And so, you know, here a little bit here, off the hook. Here's Tom Izzo has a, arguably probably one of his most talented teams ever. They were thirty and three, right? Yeah. Just a miserable year they had because this is that's all they want to talk about. You yeah. Know? And so you look right now. I mean, you know, you look. U of M is going to go through a very very similar thing. And uh, I got, I've got, I've been asked a lot. You know, are, is it karma? You know, uh, do they deserve because they were making fun of us? And I said no, nobody deserved this. So I put a couple of like, regents over there in touch with Rachel Den Hollander and with some of the survivors and said, you know, don't make the same mistakes we made. You know, COVID's taking you off the front page, right? You've gotten lucky there. Yeah. I don't care what ESPN's done. I don't know, that's irrelevant. This is real life. This is not a game. Um, work with the survivors and come up with some long-term solutions and be transparent. Be transparent. Don't run and hide, you know, because you never want you never want to see that happen anywhere. They know? may not deserve it, but it is a rude awakening and a cautionary tale for what you say. It and can what happen you, anywhere. And right. humility, you know, like as Coach D said, pride comes before the fall. And so it's a valuable lesson I think we all learned. And, you know, we're seeing these medical professionals, these trusted medical, these trusted positions happen all over the country, right? Ohio State's doctor, USC's doctor. It's all over the place. Yeah. I felt bad myself, Brian, because, I mean, I, I used to make fun of Penn State for Sandusky and just what an embarrassment that whole and situation I got a ton was. of email from Penn State folks. It's karma because Luana was president of the committee. I, call, you know, It bit me. I, I'm telling you right now on the air to our thousands of viewers. Um, you know, it's, I have I, paternal I, son I, calling yes. me, telling me how to handle it, and I'm like, really? 
It should yeah. not be rivalry fodder. I mean, I, I, I this is yes. I was more just highly critical and just saying what scumbags I thought those people were for defending the program so blindly, which you know, I guess I would still defend. I, I don't think I ever took it to the way Michigan fans did, but like to where it's rivalry fodder, where you're bringing it up out of nowhere and you're talking about a game, and it's like, hey, how's Nasser you doing and stuff like. I mean. It's just, it's a rude awakening for them, but we'll get it we'll get it back on the tracks here. A little bit lighter than uh, the Larry Nasser case. I'm sad that everything is closing in East Lansing from when I was there. Best restaurant in East Lansing that no longer exists from your days there, you know, after because most of them have closed. Panchero still open? No. Well, there's one in Okemos, but the one in uh, Lou and uh, Harry's still open, right? Luha's is still open. Panchero's uh-huh. is closed on Grand River. Believe it or not, Brody Hall was voted the best restaurant in East Lansing. Brody Hall? Like, yeah. Like, have you been eating at Brody? Like the cafeteria? Yeah. No. They have multiple stations of sushi. I don't think it closed, fry. though, right? So that's that was oh, your yeah, favorite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's your favorite spot. Um, Did you ever go to Flats? Flats Grill was like a block Flats from my Grill. apartment. No. Oh, it was only open what? like six years, but they, it was just the best. It was kind of, I, I don't even know what, it was a very eclectic, like kind of like flatbreads, quesadilla type stuff, but it wasn't Mexican. It was all over the place. It was awesome, but everything's closer. I go up to East Lansing, like, you know, only a couple times a year now, pre-COVID, and it's like it's a different city every time I go up there. Oh, it's, it's amazing that what they're doing. And, it's great, uh, but it's sad. Yeah, it's because I'm nostalgic. You I know? got um, MS Dooley's, you know. I've yeah, Dooley's. That's that's before my time, but I'm Rick's and Landshark are still there, right? Yeah, I think they're yeah. There's so I know I know Rick's. Is, I think I think Rick's will be there like, you know, 300 years from now. It might be the one <laughs> place still standing. That that place has like a, a permanent immunity. It's been exposed to every germ and disease <laughs> to know the yeah, mankind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you wanna if you wanna build some immunity. Yeah, spend a couple weeks. Spend a couple nights at Rick's. Yeah, I think like a nuclear bomb could go off in East Lansing, and Rick's would be the only thing standing. It's it's immune to all. You, you know what's funny is, is that when I first got elected, it was uh, um, I was just nostalgic, right? I was driving around 2013. It was January and it was cold. And it was a Saturday night, and I I drove by Rick's and there was nobody in line, and I and I said, "Wow, kids have changed." Because if that was our generation, wrapped around the corner, uh, we didn't care if it was us, you know. Uh, a torrent, uh, a torrential downpour. We didn't care if it was, you know, uh, an avalanche. Just to know we we're waiting to get in. So it's a different generation. I didn't spend a lot of time in the women's bathroom at Rick's. So you know, for our female listeners, don't fact check me on this. But the men's bathroom at Rick's, the the bathroom stalls did not have doors. If you're ever at a bar where the stalls don't have doors, that's probably uh, not a great place to be. I don't know like who would want to do that business uh, at the bar in East Lansing, but if you were so inclined, maybe they've since put doors on. But when I was there in 2010, there were no doors on those stalls. So. Look, right now, more importantly, is that we need our kids up there to socially distance and take this COVID oh, seriously. There's, I mean, there's the political answer. We've right broken. There, yeah. No, right. we've. I mean, we're breaking. You know, we got a 12.9 percent positivity rate uh, of the athletic department. I don't know how much is football. So it's but not we, a hoax. The COVID's not a hoax. COVID is not. I know. I actually know people that got sick. I, so, so do I. I run so, a nursing so home. Not, believe me. I can't, yeah, I can't. it's, it's not very, a hoax. But yeah. you know, that's what's funny. That's why I just did a political ad about my daughter and ice cream because you can't talk hoax. You can't talk football. You can't talk vaccine. You can't talk mask. You can't talk online schooling. You can't talk. You can't talk anything. And you can't. You know, somebody wants to shake your hand. If you don't shake their hand, they could get mad. I mean, it's just, it's just a crazy, crazy time. So uh, 
my daughter is saying endorse me because when MSU wins, I get her ice cream, you know? If you and, promise to get doors on the stalls at Rick's Men's Bathroom, you got my vote. <laughs> How about if I open the MSU Dairy Store? Push to open the MSU Dairy that, Store. See, that'll get you a lot of votes talking about ice cream because, that, yeah, that's a sad Makes moment. Makes people happy. Yeah. Everybody's fighting. Everybody's uh, fighting about everything. Everyone needs to calm down. That's And that we've talked about that show to death. I know you've watched every second of every show we've ever uh, done, Brian, so you haven't missed a thing. But, I mean, we've talked again. It's like I have friends on the right, friends on the left. And you know, are you I, finding your friends that are on the right and on the left, like arguing with each other, like really getting mad at each other? More, more left to right. I, you know, the the right, my conservative friends, and I, I consider myself a moderate. I voted for Gretchen Whitmer. I voted for Barack Obama. I also voted for John McCain in 08. So I'm kind of all over the place, and I'm convincible. But my friends on the right tend to like make fun of my lefty friends more. Like just kind of like, oh, you're a you know liberal crybaby. The ones on the left are a little more intense. It's It goes to a dark place where it's like, I will literally not be friends with you or ever speak with you again if you vote for Donald Trump. And it, it gets it's a little darker on the left. That's that's my experience with, with my social circle, what I've seen. And w- that's a perfect segue for the speed round. Not who you want to win. I know who you want to win. You're a Democrat. But who will win in November? Donald Trump, the incumbent, or the challenger, Joe Biden? Who will win? Who will win Michigan? Who's going to win the, the the election, the national election? Who's going to be the president on January 21st? I firmly believe that, um, you know, I think uh, I really, in my heart of hearts, believe that uh, Biden will win the popular vote. Everything else that's going on and, you know, the games that they're going to play, I don't know. I just, I couldn't tell you, you know, if you believe the polling if you look at Vegas, if you look at, uh, you know, 538, you know, I mean, Biden is uh, as I have, but now we have debates coming up. Uh, so I oh, here's what I believe. I believe there are very few undecideds and it's just about getting your vote out. You're actually talking to one of them. I don't know what I'm going to do. I didn't vote top of the ticket in 2016 because I absolutely deplored both candidates. I think Donald and Trump so, is yeah, And so that year in Michigan, 2016, was the largest undervote amount in the history of the state. Meaning undervote is when you vote for everybody else but the presidency. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah. interesting. So well, that, I contributed so that, to that. So that, that's, you had two very disliked candidates. And I'm a passionate voter. I've never missed an election. I always go. I, I believe in it. I think it, it's vitally important. I feel very American when I go. It's like people did die for this, you know, for me to be able to do this. I, and, my dad's a veteran. And so it must so my dad. And so you so get my it. dad, my dad. Is a veteran. Yeah. And you're on ballot. So, I mean, you're right in it. I, it, You know, at the end of the day, I, I could not vote for either one. Now, I did do a write-in. I wrote in for uh, Jesse Ventura. I donated, who had obviously no chance and was not running, but Jesse Ventura's. Uh, he was I mean, the governor of Minnesota, though, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I thought a good What's governor. interesting and, state. Minnesota is very interesting, right? They're the only urban core still that's the majority's white. Yes. The thing yeah. that I liked about Jesse Ventura, though, and you had a lot of similarities with Jesse Ventura, is when he first got in the government uh, as the governor of Minnesota, he had all these meetings. His staff had set up with a bunch of lobbyists. And he, the first day he's in office, he said, I didn't set these up. Cancel. I don't want to meet with any lobbyists. Like I work for the people. I'm not working for the oil lobby or the dairy lobby. I don't I tell him no. And he would not take meetings with lobbyists in that entire term. And, you know, it, but where he's similar to you is it's just, I don't care about, you know, the politics or playing these games. It's like, what was I elected to do and serve the people? And I, a big Jesse Ventura fan doesn't mean I agree with everything he said. 
He thinks 9-11 was maybe uh, an inside job. Not, he's not fully on that, but he says there's questions there. I think that's crazy, so I'm not endorsing everything. But, you know, in terms of this upcoming election, I only donated to one candidate this term, and this is all public record. Anyone can Google it. Tulsi Gabbard is a Democrat. So, you know, I have friends that think I'm like a crazy right-wing crackpot, and, you know, I have friends on the right that think I'm too liberal, so that's always how it works, right? But I am a true undecided where – I'm telling you right now, there's a chance I might vote for Donald Trump. There's a chance I might vote for Joe Biden. Or there's a chance that I might write in the ineligible because he's too young, Ben Augusta, my producer, to to win the presidency. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, so I'm obviously 100% all the way in with Joe Biden. Um, but my background is interesting because I'm a financial advisor, right? So I, I own a wealth management firm. So, I mean, fiscally, I lean right. You know, I'm a little more conservative, which I think helps us in this times at Michigan State, our financial crisis. Socially, I lean left. I don't I don't care. Like everybody deserves the same rights I deserve. So why don't you like Donald Trump then? Because I, I, he's I don't, a I, social I, liberal. What I, here, I I think the problem with Trump is, is the division, the yes. way he's divided the country. Right. Because if you look at his fiscal and his monetary policy, now you can argue all day long. I mean, how much of it went to Wall Street and how much of it went to Main Street? Yeah. OK. Yeah. So I, and, and, I, and I can I have a lot of facts to back it up because I do. That's what I do all day is the yes. stock market. Um, but I think the, the, the dog whistling and um, the racial element and the looting and the way he talks and just I think, you know, you know, he, he appeals and he appeals to his base of that white nationalist that. And then there are a lot of business people that tell me, "Yo, Brian, look, I just gotta plug my nose and vote for him." I don't yeah. like what he says, I don't, you know, I, but but what he does, you know, fiscally and monetarily, you know, I agree with. So, I just, I've never seen this country more divided. And I'll give you a perfect example, right? World War II, Pearl Harbor, 9/11, the country united around their president, right? Yep. George Bush was the president. Everybody united around George Bush. I mean, now you got people, you know, uh, carrying AK-47s and Confederate flags and swastikas and burning absentee ballots and drinking bleach. And I mean, it's crazy. It's just crazy. Yeah. It's, and the president's job is to rise above it. And, you know, his whole thing is the media should treats. unite the country. The president should you. And then you're not going to unite everybody. I no. get it. Right. But like, you know, unite the country. And I think that's the that's the part that's really true. What's really bothered me is some of the stuff that he does. I can't explain to my kids. You know, like they're like, Dad, how can the president say these things and do these things? And and anytime that happens, I have a problem with that. So that's, that's my biggest, you know, one of my biggest gripes. I think it's going to be close. I have friends on both I sides. Think it's going to be are, very close. People are saying I have my lefty friends are saying, you know, oh, Biden by 10 points. And, and my righty friends are saying, oh, Trump's going to blow him out. In it's Michigan like, or where? In the country. My election's in Michigan. I'm talking about in the country. See, to him being up 10 points in the country means nothing. Because that, that those polls are all bullshit. Because yeah. it's it's a state it's, battle. It's a state battle. Yeah. You know? So You're, in Michigan, if you look right now, he's up anywhere from five to eleven, depending on who you talk to. But Michigan's do I believe it? You know, I don't. I don't think so. But uh, if five point two, five point three million people vote, um, the Democrats will win because there's um, there's a million more Democrats in the state of Michigan. Believe it or not. So you know? you're you're a dire Spartan. We've discussed it ad nauseum. Moving on to the next one, the University of Michigan. Where do you stand on the University of Michigan? What do you think? Do you hate them like so many Spartans do? Football wise, the sport, not the whole, not the people, but just the teams. Like, do you watch Michigan, Michigan State? Do you just? I mean, uh, if we were playing, um, if we were playing Russia, I would cheer for Russia over Michigan. Oh, there I you just, go. I'm just, you know, I'm, 
look, it's your right. I love the rivalry. I yeah. got a lot of very close friends over there. And plus I played, you know, so. Yeah. But it's, it's just a rivalry. It's a game. Yeah. All right. But when it comes to sex abuse and the scandal, no. It's off the table. Yeah. I don't wish that on them. I mean, I want to help them. You yeah. know, so there's a, there's a lot of great people at that school and from that school. I, you know, I love John Beeline. You know, John Beeline's class act. Izzo loves John Beeline. I hated how much I liked John Beeline. I, 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 you know, I mean, to, look, why do I like this yeah. guy so much? I wanted you know? to dislike him, but he, he, it's a great yeah, guy. Yeah, and, and I mean, and, and, you know, and so, like, you have a ton of respect. I love Lloyd Carr. You know, mm-hmm. Lloyd and I have always been very good friends. I love Lloyd Carr's first class. You know, so it's... Um, but yeah, you root against, you know, I mean, it's it's a rivalry. So. On the field, you hate him. And then, you know, it's my best friend, best man at my wedding was a University of Michigan athlete and obviously went there and, uh, you know, loves Michigan and wears it on his They're not the problem. It's the person who, it's the Walmarter. Well, that's that true. We have the problem. That's that, true. But know. we let's face it, though, we have our own baggage, too. I mean, our fan base is uh, no picnic sometimes, too. And I, it's funny because I, I've been criticized for that repeatedly by members of Michigan State that fan what, base. That you're too high, too low. Like that, that I'm too critical of Michigan State. And, and there's people that are such slappies that they think they can do absolutely no wrong. And people were – the big thing that, that got me into, I guess, hot water. I mean, I didn't feel it. I, I frankly didn't care. But the perception was that I was in hot water was there were members of Michigan State's recruiting class for football that were on Twitter that, you know, just committed Mel Tucker's first class on the way. None of them even signed yet. They were on Twitter talking trash about U of M and, and saying, you know, we're, we're going to take that belt and we're taking Paul Bunyan back. And all I said was, I'm very old school with rivalries. We played the game, got our ass kicked in Ann Arbor for that year. You should lay low. You don't get to talk trash. The whole point of playing the game is you play for bragging rights for that year. In my head, no one has to play by my rules, but in my head, you play for bragging rights for that year. Basketball is a little different because you can play two, three, four times in a year. But football, that one game, if Michigan State wins, I'm going to be teasing my Michigan fans for 365 days if I want, and they shouldn't be able to say anything. But when it's on the other uh, hat, shoes on the other foot, I got to shut my mouth, and I didn't like that guys that hadn't even signed here that were not even on campus yet were talking trash. Now, it's what these are kids, but my issue was the fan base that was retweeting this stuff and saying, oh, I love the swagger. And I just had a general comment that said, I think we should be laying low here. We didn't like when Michigan did this, uh, when D'Antonio was pounding them every year, and they're talking in the offseason about recruiting rankings, and they're you know calling us little brother and all this. Michigan State fan base. There's plenty of crazy people in that group too. So I think I think um, losing makes you humble. I think you, you, it should. And, but. It, and it's you know this thing ebbs and flows, and humility, humility comes in many forms. And you didn't see any of our current players talking, and those that when though they get here. When they play and they lose, they probably won't talk either. I agree with that. I'm talking about the fan base, though. I mean, the, the fan subject base being, is the fan base, and you're not some, gonna, you know, there are some you're just not gonna. It is what it is, and yep. you can't take it. You know, like I, 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 I've been through the Twitter war of getting just blown up by people. <laughs> you just, you know, and you just learn to deal yep. with it. It's part of the game. Yeah, I mean, it's just the way it is, and. Some people, are, they're very passionate about their school. I don't like when it becomes personal, like you make personal comments. I don't think that's appropriate. Um, I don't think the Nasser matter should ever be joked about. I don't think uh, the Dr. Anderson matter should ever be joked about, you know. Um, you know, there are just things that should be off limits between fan bases. 
And uh, if that's the case, then Twitter's going to be Twitter. Yeah. You know? well, Twitter will always be Twitter, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. So we'll, we'll wrap here. A final one. So you can go as long as you want. We hit on him a little bit. John Ingler's interim presidency at Michigan State. Not, you know, just John Ingler, but that, that period. John oh. Ingler's handling of that. Where do I start? You know, so, so I voted for him. First of all, you know, uh, I, I'll own it. I'll own it. I voted for him. I took a lot of heat for it. And because he came in and said he's not coming in unless it's unanimous. Um, so they had this thing wired. He had the votes. Um, and I was risking defunding uh, the university. You know, we were, we were at the legislature was risking uh, our, our funding, which would have been, I believe, a 22% increase in tuition, 12% decrease in salary. So I took the bullet, you know, because if we get defunded, who takes the heat? Now you're over a barrel. It's the kids, the, ki- it's, yeah. it's the kids and their parents and working families in Michigan. So I took the bullet. I own it. And I quickly realized what a mistake it was and that he doesn't take any advice. And he's the smartest guy in the room. And he's in an essence, has a lot of elements of Trump. He just can't help himself. And he just says a lot of, he inflames situations. And he would purposely do it the week of a board meeting because he loved it. He loved the attention. He just liked the tension, you he think? He loves the attention. He loved the tension. He loved Dividing the trustees, I just—he was mean-spirited. He was very mean-spirited. Was it too? Was it a means to an end for him? Like, or did he just enjoy the tension? He in enjoyed the tension. He enjoyed the attention and tension. And but I would. Uh, this is that was nonpartisan though. Like it wasn't. Well, it should have been, could, but it was. But I but I would watch. I was watching. Um, you know, I'd watch the way he interact with the faculty and the employees, mm-hmm. and the staff, and things that he would do. When the cameras weren't on, and he would berate them, and the way he talked to them, and intimidate and bully kids, and you know, like just a mean-spirited individual. And uh, then when he gaveled down Kaylee Lorenz, telling her her time was up, and and then when he said, you know, Rachel was taking kickbacks, I go, that's it, we're done. There were a lot of audible gasps during that time. Where he, was, just, he viewed he viewed them as litigants. Yeah. You know, he's the governor and he can do what he wants and they're the legislature and, you know, kind of he just forgot that he's a, you know, you're a university president. You have bosses. Right. And that, uh, you know, that you're a president. You have to take you have to take shots. You can't fire back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you have to show some empathy and some com- compassion. And, um, you know, those were things that he lacked. And uh, it got to the point where it became very crystal clear that the longer we kept them on, the worse it was going to get. And so then elections happened. I got the votes and, you know, the rest is history. Speaking of getting the votes, Brian Massalam, MSU trustee, running for re-election for an eight-year term. You're up in a few weeks. <sighs> I mean, is there anything you want to throw out there? We have, you know, thousands of people watch the show in Michigan every time we do it. Is there anything you want to say to these people before we send you off back to Dearborn? And um, I, You know, it's all about the ice cream if we uh, – because I think – I look – and doors at Rick's. Uh, yeah, Rick's doors at bathrooms. Rick's. I yeah. think um, I think if there's anything that that we've learned is that I've been tested, right? I've been tested in times of crisis, um, and that it is a tremendous honor to have survivors support me and their parents endorse me. Think about that. Coming out of Nasser. In 2018, the world was calling for a resignation. Two and a half years later, the, those, the, the very same group of girls and their parents are endorsing me, I think says it speaks volumes. Did I make mistakes along the way? Absolutely. Sure did. Um, uh, but but you're going to, with me, I was open, honest, and transparent. I've led reform. I've pushed reform. Um, and I think I've done the right things. And, 
you know, I was very fortunate to get the free press endorsement. It says I've earned another uh, the right to, to get another eight years to see my reform through. And uh, Republican, Democrat, you know, we're Spartans. You know, we're Spartans, and uh, I would love your support heading into into the election. Oh, I appreciate you appearing on our show, and, you know, you have been an accessible person in your entire term there by all accounts, and I think that's important, uh, you know, for whatever it's worth, I'm voting for you. <laughs> I And not just because you appeared in the studio here today, but, I mean, just the, the way you handled that Nasser thing. And I thought that at the time, you know, thank God for you because you were the only one. So, yeah, I think you did a great job, and I wish you well. I'd love to have you back, you know, win, lose, or, or draw in that uh, election. And you know, Oh, I'm pretty confident if I lose, I won't be getting many calls from the media next year. You'll, you'll have, you can be my co-host. I'll have you in every day, I, I, no matter see, what Mike Villani says. I think the lesson from this all is that uh, these are titles, right? Like, if you don't you – never, you, you never want to lose your sense of reality. Like, I know who the minute I lose this title is, will always stand by me, and I know those that will never call me back. And, I, and as long as you don't lose that sense of reality and you know who you are and you know what your real support is and realize, you know, that uh, X, Y, Z is calling you because he, he likes you, not because you're a trustee uh, and vice versa. I, I, I think, you know, you'll, you'll be fine in, in the long run. You're not going to be getting any Christmas cards from Joel Ferguson or John Engler, but uh, you, you might get one from the Spiro Avenue show. Uh, well, Ryan, I will say so. Joel, Joel Ferguson, they asked him if he was endorsing me, and he said no. So uh, that in itself is an endorsement. Yeah, yeah right. So, the, re you. the rejection is a ringing endorsement. Yeah. So Brian Massalm, MSU trustee, I'm not going to tell you to vote for him. You heard him, you know, make your own decision. But, uh, I, you know, I, I think you did a great job with everything with, with the Nasser scenario and how what a disaster that was across the board basically you were the one outlier so we appreciate you joining us giving us a lot of insight on d'antonio luke fickle who may or may not be a waffling flake that was up for interpretation we'll leave that up to the listeners i guess ben augusta our producer he's awesome this is the earliest he's ever been awake especially on a sunday that's not true well okay <laughs> it's in the top three for earliest, earliest he's ever been since when uh, since March before yeah. COVID, the pre-COVID job, yeah, yeah. Well, he's a night owl. It's not he's he's not a lazy guy. It's just he'll be up like in my studio working. You know, I'll have gone to bed four hours ago, and I just hear the door slam, and I think I'm being robbed. And it's like, oh, it's just Ben leaving at two thirty in the morning. So, yeah, Ben's a hound. Appreciate everything Ben's doing for us. We actually added a member of our team, Eric Williamson, as our director of digital media going forward. He was the one that said that uh, he didn't want you to have a water bottle on the table. So I'm Brian, sorry. Brian, I'm, yeah, you're, I, <laughs> I'm going to get it. it. I'm going to get a very angry email from him about the fact that I didn't tell you to remove the water bottle off the table. So a lot so, of electronics I get through up here if it slips. Uh, I, I'm going to no, it's okay. But you know, you look like you work out, man. If Eric comes knocking, I'm calling you for support. This has been the Spiro Avenue Show. Thank you to Brian Massam, MSU trustee, for joining us. It's been it's been a blast, and I love to have you back, Brian. Thank you, thank you for having me. Take care, take care. Uh, go white. Thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll catch you soon. A couple more shows on the horizon. Remember, these things are all TBD because my wife could go into labor at any minute. I'd like to thank her for not going into labor during the show because I enjoyed the conversation. She's technically due in five days, uh, but we're in that window, so. Maybe we'll see you, maybe we won't, but you'll see us eventually. Thank you all uh, for listening. And uh, this has been the Spear Avenue Show. Thank you again, Brian. Yeah,